verse, uh, chapter 9, verses 15 through 23. And then next week we'll look at the section uh, in Numbers that deals with uh, trumpets. And then we're going to take four weeks off for Advent uh, because the next several texts have to do with uh, complaining. And um, we'll save that for the new year. So uh, Numbers 9, uh, verses 15 through 23. Uh, it's printed in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. This is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that, the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out. And at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. So um, this is an awesome passage. And the reason why it's an awesome passage is because if you were paying attention and you read this, heard me read it, then the thought probably occurred to you, why doesn't God lead me like that? My life would be so much easier if God would show up, be at the end of my driveway every morning when I get up and say, follow me, right? And you go wherever he takes you, right? And, and when he stops, you stop. And when he starts moving again, you start moving again. So at every decision point along life, you could, you could do that. That would be awesome, right? Well, here's the thing. God respects you too much to do that. This kind of guidance is for babies. Now, I'm not saying these people are bad or anything, but they are uh, a little more than a year away from being in slavery. They really did not know who this God was who says he is their God. And they really don't know how it is that he's going to work with them. And so this sense where he comes, he condescends really to provide for them and to care for them in this way is a reflection to them of his character, that he will do whatever it takes to help them get where they want to go. Now, there's a thing uh, at work in our culture that is killing us. Now I've got your attention. And it's called helicopter parenting. Right? This is helicopter parenting from the God of the universe. Now, it's essential for these people. Uh, But one of the things that we think about that is we are so afraid and so overwhelmed with 
all the threats and the difficulties and the problems in the world uh, that we uh, tend to want to control everything that happens in our kids' lives. Now, you should when they're two, probably, if they'll let you. When uh, I've told this story before, and it always draws a line in the room, and, and many of you will hate me because of this and think I should be in jail, and many of you will think I'm great, so I will tell it. When Tate was 11 years old, we were in Maine. He wanted to ride a bike, so I rented him a bike, and he rode it for three days. And after we had rented the bike for three days, beautiful, he would go ride, he would ride it while I would um, run and that kind of stuff. It was a lot of fun. At the end of three days, he wanted to ride the bike back to the shop. Seven miles, maybe. His mother and I are standing there as he says, hey, can I ride the bike back to the shop? I, simultaneously, I said, sure. She said, absolutely not. <laughs> okay? So we've got an issue. Right? So... Uh, we have to go aside and talk about this because you don't have these discussions in front of your children ever, right? So we go aside, and I say to her, we have to let him do this. And she's like, no. No, we don't. So we have to negotiate. Uh, and we negotiated an agreement that he would ride the bike back to the shop, but we would follow him in the car out of sight. And so we did it. And when he got there, turned the bike in, and we showed up three minutes later, he was really upset. Now, you need to understand something about this. I am not, I don't need to be put in jail for child neglect. I was thinking that when I was nine years old, I could not wait to turn nine, because when I turned nine, I, in the summers where I grew up, we could go to what was called recreation. Recreation was a program at the local elementary school that was six miles from my house. I rode my bike with my baseball glove on my handlebars all the way to recreation every day in the summer and played ball with my friends and had a good time my mom gave me 20 cents. I stopped at Neil's Drugstore on the way home, got an orange aid, drank my orange aid, and then rode my bike back home. If a parent allowed a child to do that today, you would be in jail. Now, is the world a worse place now than it was then? I don't know. I don't know. There were some characters in my hometown. Yes. Now, here's the thing. As you think about this and as we, as we unpack this, one of the things that I want you to, to understand about this is, and um, I, I did some research on this this week, so, so this is not just a, a church thing or a Christian thing, a religious thing. Uh, you can go to Psychology Today, hardly a, uh, a, a journal uh, that's, that's for biblical uh, teaching, and they will tell you all about why kids today are overwhelmed with anxiety because their parents hover over them all the time. And you, for you, just to help you diagnose whether you're like this or not, play this scenario out. 
your kids at school, you got them there, you're catching your breath, the phone rings, they say, I forgot my lunch. What do you do? Drop everything and get them lunch because you cannot stand the thought of your child sitting at the table without anything to eat while everybody else eats around them. So you take them to your, your, their lunch, even if you have to leave work, even if you have to leave the dental appointment that you're getting your teeth drilled while you're there, right? In our family, we had a rule for that. You get one. You can forget your lunch once. You forget it twice, three times, four times, you're on your own. We didn't have a problem. Because they grew up to know I need to be responsible and remember my lunch. Because they, you know, kids say, but I forgot. And I'm like, well, I'm going to help you remember. (laughs) Steve's a jerk. I know. I know. I know. Jesus Christ walked onto this planet, lived a life you could never live, died your death, and rose again so that you could be free. Now, there are very clear stipulations in the Bible for how we do certain things. But as Tim Keller says, about 80% of life is about wisdom and about 20% is uh, aligning ourselves with the clear teaching of the scriptures. For instance... Many of us walk through our lives thinking it would be great if I would know that God was with me and that he was guiding me by showing up and telling me what to do, what house to buy, what person to marry, what job to take, what situation to put myself into. When in fact, the glory of the gospel is that within very wide, very broad parameters, you have freedom. Listen, single folks who are wondering who God has for you to marry, I can tell you. I know exactly who you're supposed to marry. I know it. It's very simple. Marry another believer. And the great news is, there are a lot of them. There are a lot of them. Now, exercise some wisdom. You know, if you like the Cowboys and they like the Redskins, perhaps, well, but maybe that's a good match. Maybe you'll you'll grow in maturity and learning how to handle arguments and disputes, right? But, but the fact of the matter is, there's your guidance. God has given you freedom, and he's given you his spirit, and he's given you his word, and he is united to you. And so as a result of that, you have freedom. Live as free men and women, boys and girls. Now, might there be some scraped elbows and scraped knees along the way? I hope so. I hope so. Not because I wish that there would be any kind of difficulty or pain in our lives, but there is something in that because God is in the scraped elbow and the scraped knee. And God is in the disappointment. And he is present with us. But for people who don't know God, who have no understanding of of who he is and how he is for them and have almost zero content 
and their understanding of who he is and what it is that he intends for them, he condescends because he is patient and kind and gentle and loving, and he shows up every day in a cloud to lead them, to guide them, and to tell them visually so that they can't forget he is with them, right? Because remember, these, these folks barely have any concept of who he is. They have almost zero uh, revelation. I mean, remember, they have been in Egypt for 400 years. And during those 400 years, I am certain that there wasn't a lively uh, uh, Christian education program going on in the mud pits to train these kids about who this God is, that he was at, at best some echo of a God who our ancestors knew. And here we are now in this place uh, undone. So, so, that, so the thing about it is, as, we, as you think about this today, what, what we have to say and what must be true for us is that because we have the gospel of Jesus Christ, because God has demonstrated his love and his care and his presence for us by coming and living and walking among us, by not giving us a tabernacle that he, he comes in over a cloud, but actually coming and tabernacling among us, living and walking among us, who has died and risen again and who has given us his spirit, who indwells us, who helps us, who is ever more with us, he gives us great freedom. And so, so as, you, as you unpack this and as you think about this today, Listen, I want you to understand something, that most of the the situations that you find yourself in, most of the decisions that you need to make, most of the things that we need to figure out in life are, are very often are not decisions that are black and white. Listen, if, if, if you're considering um, a, a divorce today because you just don't like your spouse anymore, I can tell you. That's not a biblical grounds for divorce. That's a clear evidence of that. But you might have two options of some kind of good uh, of, of employment for you. You're free. He's given you uh, 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 all that you need to know to make those kinds of decisions. So do that, right? So... So as you, as you think about this and as we, as we unpack this, the glory of, 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 of life that we lead now, is the glory of that is in freedom uh, and, 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 and in understanding that within very wide and broad parameters, there are parameters. I'm not saying you can do whatever you want to do. But within those, there is a great deal of freedom for us and that God sets us free in the gospel to live and to follow him that way. Next slide. So the, the, the thing that you have to see about this too is that the way in which God does this. And so, so, the, so these people, they don't know where they're going, which is us, right? We think we know where we're going, but the truth of the matter is you don't know, not really, you don't know where you're going, right? Uh, we, we think we can c- control and know what the future holds, but uh, when in fact uh, that's, that's probably not the case. But for these people... What God does is he comes and he takes and he leads. He comes and, and he will take them to a particular spot and they will stay there for a period of time, sometimes overnight, sometimes a couple of nights, sometimes a week, sometimes a month. The emphasis here is on the word sometimes. 
And for his own good purpose and for his own grace uh, and for their protection, I'm sure, what does he do? He, he moves and gets them to go where it is that he wants them to go. And the reason for that is because they don't know any better. And, and they need to know as he leads them and guides them that he is with them. Remember, Moses has, has challenged the Lord a number of times. Listen, if you don't go with us, if we don't know that you are with us, then don't take us anywhere, right? And so, so what you have to see about that is, is that that is the, the, the presence of God uh, and his guidance and his leading of them is something that is central to their identity and central to their growth and their understanding of who he is and what it is that he has for them, right? So one of the things that we, one of the things that we have to see about this is, is that this is, this is so challenging for us uh, because people are scrapping all the time for, um, um, for assurance that the decision that they're making is the decision that God has for them. When, and, and sometimes, honestly, that's true. But I would submit to you that for many of us, the deci- we, what we want is the way we know that God is leading and guiding us in a particular decision is that it goes well and life is easier as a result of that decision. When in fact, what the Lord may have for us is something that's actually difficult, challenging, uh, uh, and, and that it might cause us pain even and difficulty. And yet he is in the pain and he is in the difficulty and he is continuing to lead and to guide even in the midst of that. So, so how, do we, how do we get at this? And how do you know today that Jesus is with his people and guiding them? How do you know that? Does he, for instance, how did I know that Jesus was calling me into ministry. I'm, I'm not sure I even came to full, was fully convinced of that until a couple of years ago, actually, because I, uh, I wondered often, like, really? Really, this is what I'm supposed to be doing? Because some of y'all have jobs that look pretty good to me, you know? Uh, you, make, you make real estate, and you make banking, and you make lawyering. Y'all make that look pretty good to me. And I'm like, maybe, maybe I should do that. Maybe, maybe I'm not... Did Jesus show up at the foot of my bed one night and say, rise up, boy, and preach the gospel? <laughs> now, now, maybe it would have been great if he'd done that, but that's not, he didn't do that for me uh, because he knew, he knows me well enough that if he did that, I would be like, you're not really Jesus. <laughs> you're somebody else. How does it work? Well, I had friends who said, you know what? you probably ought to think about ministry. People in whom the Spirit of God dwelled, people who, who knew me, who loved me, and, and, and that's one of the ways in which we know that God's present with us, that he is present in and through the work of his people. We are in the middle right now of, of, of something that we do every year, and that is we are in the middle of the, the process that we go by where we select elders and deacons in this church. You you nominated them in August. I have begun my training program with them since September. Sometime after the first of the year, we'll complete that and we'll sit down with the elders and we will interview them. And after that, we will present them to you for uh, your uh, uh, vote 
and then we'll vote on them. That's the process. But the process is nothing unless God's in the process. But we believe that God speaks his will, his desire for the church and for these officer candidates through the process. Uh, We believe that the process is biblically informed, and this is the way he would have us do that, right? So, So the fact is, one of the ways in which we know that God is present with us is that he leads and works in and through our people. Is that, is that um, uh, foolproof? No. Um, but it is a means that he does that. What's another way that we know that he's present with us? Well, we, we, we have the clear revelation of his character and his gospel uh, to us in the scripture. And so one of the ways that we experience his present with us is that we have the, his very written word for us and his spirit illuminates that to us so that we can see it and hear it and, and know it. How do we know that God's present? He speaks to us clearly through his word. But not only that, how else do we know it? Well, we know that God is, is present with us, that he actually indwells us, and in fact that he unites us to himself and that that is to be preferred. Jesus told his disciples he needed to go away, but that he had something better for them than his physical presence. And that thing that was better was the Holy Spirit in them. Now, we probably think that is not very good. (laughs) I dispute that. I would rather have a cloud. I would rather have a Jesus right here next to me saying, do this now. Say that. Don't. Don't, don't take that turn. Go over here, right? But that's not how he does that, right? The, the fact is, he, he gives us his spirit who impresses upon us uh, the truth of his word. We also know that he's present with us and that he calls us together as his people, as his church, and as we worship together, and as we eat the bread, and as we drink the cup, what are we reminded of? These things that we see and taste and smell and hold in our hands remind us that this God, the same God who showed up in the cloud there in in the wilderness, is present, nourishing, providing for, caring for his people today, right? And so so those, those are the ways, those are the means whereby we can see and understand that. And we know that the heart of God is to be present with his people because he walked among us. He, he was one of us. He, he came and was here with us. And so as you think about your lives and as you think about the, the situations that uh, are in front of you and the, the things that you have to do and the, 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 the way that you have to go, listen, with, unless there's a clear biblical mandate that you're violating, you have freedom. And you can trust that Jesus is in that and that he will provide and take you and lead you where you need to go. And even if, even if there's a difficulty, even if there's a challenge, even if something goes wrong, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that he wasn't there. Maybe God led you to this place because he had some, well, there's no maybe. God leads you to a place because he has something there for you, right? Now, one of the things to note about this is, and one of the things that I think is really hard for us and that I think that underlines this, that makes this hard for us is, um, and, 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 and please bear with me in the simplicity of this, but the other point of this text is that God is taking his people somewhere. 
we have this, you know, we, 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 we like to say, it's probably on a Hallmark card. Don't get your theology from Hallmark cards. Don't get it from bumper stickers either, right? But we say the journey is the important thing, not the destination. That's a lie. That's a lie. It's a lie. Journey's important, but the journey is only important insofar as it takes us somewhere. God's not leading you around aimlessly. He's taking you somewhere. All of this drama and all of this stuff is, 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 even though you may be parked here for a day or two until he's going to take you to the next place and the next place, but the fact of the matter is he's trying to get these people to the promised land. Now, there's a lot to be done between here and there and a lot of things that must be done and a lot of worship and a lot of, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of conflict, a, a lot of joy and all of those things. But, but the fact of the matter is the journey, as important as it is, is not the thing. The thing is the destination. God is taking us somewhere. I, I read something a, a few years ago, and I've shared this before, but it's worth sharing again, is that this is one of the problems that we have uh, in, in, our, in, our, in our culture because one of the things that we tend to think about life is is that the point of life is to enjoy it and to avoid pain now and to live as carefree as I possibly can and then die in my sleep. Right? That's what we want. You know, you'll, you'll sign up for that, won't you, Jason? <laughs> right? Yeah. I think that's what I've signed up for. That's what I would prefer. Um, an article I read a couple of years ago that said, you know, it used to be that the pastor's job and the church's job was to prepare people to die. Now, you hear that and you're like, well, that's meaningless because I, I'm not going to die anytime soon. And uh, what, how's that going to help me raise my kids? How's that going to help me get along with my spouse? How's it going to help me get along with my roommate? How's it going to help me do my job? It has everything to do with that. Because you see, what, what the, the truth uh, in, in that for us is, is that, that what we, we live in light of the fact that that's our destiny. And because that's our destiny, because Jesus has said, I go to prepare a place for you. And, 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 and have you ever thought about the fact that, you know, the New Testament talks about the Christian life as a walk? You're going somewhere? That we follow Jesus? That not just that we hear what he has to say and we think it's good, but that we're actually moving behind him to go where he has led, right? That that's, that that's what we're doing. That the, the fact is that viewpoint of that we are on a journey, but the journey, as important as it is and as valuable as it is, is only important and invaluable because of the destination. It used to be that that's what churches did. but And, and so, so churches and pastors, Christians used to view uh, the, the work and the ministry of the, of, the, of the church as being a cruise liner. Now, when I say that, you think, what? That's where you go and gamble and drink and eat a lot of food? No. Cruise liners used to be for one purpose, to get you from one place to another. Shocking. Did you know that? 
before you could get on an airplane and go someplace quickly, you had to get on a boat. And you got on a boat, not because, you know, like, like, the, like the pilgrims, for instance. You know, they're not like, let's take a cruise on the Mayflower. <laughs> <laughs> let's do that. Don't you think that'll be fun? I think I want to get in a 32-foot boat with 102 other people and do this across the Atlantic. That sounds awesome. And by the way, the navigation is so great, we're going to Virginia. Whoops. You know, that's all right. We made it to North America. Same thing, right? No. But now, how do we view life? I'm going to buy my ticket, and I'm going to get on this boat, and I don't really care where it takes me, but I am going to have the time of my life while I'm on it. I am going to drink, and I am going to eat, and I am going to gamble, and I hope I don't fall off the ledge into the ocean like you hear about every now and then, right? Who cares where we're going? This cruise goes to Jamaica. Where's that? Who wants to go to Jamaica? Who wants to get off the boat? I'll stay on the boat because the boat is fun. I don't care where I'm going. Well... Jesus loves you too much. And he loves his church too much. He's taking his people somewhere. And one of the ways that we know that he is with us and and present in our hearts and our lives is is that he doesn't leave us in this one particular place. Just imagine if if, if the Israelites, as they're going along and they're camping, right, that God takes them to a spot and the cloud sits there and they get there and they're like, wow, I'm going to stay here. This is awesome. This is the, And then you get up the next day and you see the cloud moving and you're like, what? This place was so great. <laughs> I want to stay here. Or maybe you're the opposite. You're like, wow, this cloud has parked me here way too long. It's time to get on. And you get up the next day and the cloud's still there. It's not moving you anywhere. Right? The, the fact of the matter is the, the work that, that God is doing in and among his people is, is so profound. Jesus lived and died and rose again, not just to help us make good decisions and, and not just to make us better parents and better uh, students and better bosses and those things. He did these things to create a community to shape us more and more into his image. He is taking us somewhere. There is progress. He is moving us to this place. And all that we're doing here and now is is important and it matters. But what the, the point of what he's doing is he is getting us to a location. You see, that is that is the thing that is so so powerful and so profound about this. And one of the things that we forget is we would rather life just be a cruise sailing around in a circle but in a glorious circle, a fun circle, a pain-free circle. But the Lord is moving history. The Lord is moving us to the promised land, to a destination. And so we live our lives every day now in, in the sure hope that this is what he has for us. You see, the hope of the promised land is not just something we pull out of our pockets when somebody dies. 
but it shapes and directs how I live now because the Lord is taking me somewhere. You see, that, that is, uh, as you walk through this life, what you have to understand, just as these people did, is the word sometimes. Sometimes you are at a place for a while. Sometimes you're at a place for a little while. But always and at every time, whatever you are experiencing now is temporary. Temporary. My daughter is uh, about to be a, uh, a last second semester senior in college, and she and I have talked about this a lot. She's so overwhelmed with anxiety about what's next. And because I'm not a hovering parent, my advice to her is, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Why don't you try this? Or why don't you think about this? Or I don't know. I don't know. You you know, you you can you can figure that out. I you know, I don't know. Um but one of the things that, that happens to us in 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 these kinds of situations is she says to me, she's like, you know, four years ago I thought this is what I was gonna be doing for the rest of my life. And I'm like, sweetie, let me tell you something. What you're going to do next and what you're going to do next and what you're going to do next, none of that stuff's what you're going to do for the rest of your life. The point is, the Lord's in it. He is with you and he is for you. He's demonstrated that by his, his, his atoning work for you. He's given you his spirit. Take a step. Take a step. He's died and risen again to give you freedom to follow after him. And the thing that we can rest in and the thing that we can be absolutely certain is he will see you home. We can trust him. So do, you know, go ahead. Do whatever. So um, for all of us, for all of us, that's the thing. This life, all of these things that we hold so dear, that we despise, that overwhelm us, they are, for the most part, temporary. The Lord's taking us someplace glorious, wonderful, and marvelous. So let's live in light of that, and let's live in preparation as he leads us for that. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you today that this is true and that we pray that you would, that you would help us, and that you would open our hearts and our minds to the freedom that you died to give us. Lord, we thank you that you condescended to these people who were immature, who were really just baby followers of you, uh, to lead them this way. We thank you for that. We thank you today as well that uh, our hope is not for this world only, but for what you have and where you are taking us. Lord, I pray for those of us who demand uh, that, uh, well, that this life be heaven now, that this life be uh, our eternal home now, that you would give us the gift to repent of that, that you would help us, and that you would 
uh, open uh, us up to the possibility uh, that you are taking us to someplace even more wonderful. Help us to trust you in that, even if the journey is difficult and painful, lonely and hard, uh, we know that it's your journey. So help us in that. Lord, we thank you today that uh, we have so much more. We have your spirit, we have your word, we have the cross. We have all of these things to help us to know uh, the truth of your presence and your leading. So give us confidence and joy in that today. We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.